Kevin Harrington, an original shark in the hit TV show Shark Tank. I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an As Seen on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester. I'm the author of Unite, the four mindset shifts for senior leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author. He's got an amazing radio show. Hello there, my name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia. Also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, this guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development. Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I've traveled the world helping people make a greater impact. Dolph is uh, just an outstanding character, uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership. My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dope has a very, very unique approach to working with businesses. Hey, this is Derry Apjohn, who's one of Davis, aka The Strategy Man. And if I'm going to describe Dope in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need for leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobstead team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing speaker. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co-founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Doc Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century. Hey, everybody. Coach Brew here, best-selling author of Stadium Status, taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine and heart-centered leader. I'm John Burgott, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective. He understands what makes people tick, and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way. Hi, I'm Joshua Miller, and I am the author of the new book, I Call Bullshit, Live Your Life, Not Somebody Else's. Dov Barron, to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dov Barron. Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser. I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership, and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations. Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that were quite visible, but were still hidden. I'm Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well thought out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book, Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. 
His perspective is laser sharp about the things that matter. With AI and smart robots, manual labor in the forms that we've known it is already going away. I read somewhere in the last few years that blue collar workers of the future will be the people who write code. Code is the future in so many ways. Cryptocurrency, for instance, is supposed to be the money of the future. Guess what it is? It's code. But let me ask you, have you ever thought, where does code actually come from? You know, it's some of these words that were sort of bandied around, but nobody really thinks about where it comes from. Well, like you, my entire life, I've been fascinated with the foundation of reality and all the things in creation. And on this episode, we're going to uncover the potential bridge between the spiritual, philosophical, and the scientific. My name is Dov Barron, and I'm your host. You can find out more about hiring me at, as your speaker or as a strategist for your organization by going to fullmontyleadership.com forward slash consulting or fullmontyleadership.com forward slash speaking. All right, let's dive in here. My guest on this episode is Perry Marshall. Perry is endorsed in Forbes and Inc. magazine as one of the most expensive business consultants in the world. Hmm. Why the heck is he on this show then? Let's find out. His Evolution 2.0 challenge announced at the Royal Society in London it is the world's largest science research prize. His book, Evolution 2.0, harnesses a communication engineer's insider perspective to reveal a century of unrecognized discoveries. His reinvention of Pareto's principle is published in the Harvard Business Review and actually NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab use it um, to uh, as a productivity tool. So that's pretty interesting, right? He wrote the world's best-selling book on digital advertising, Ultimate Guide to Google AdWords, and has consulted in over 300 industries, and he has a degree in electrical engineering. Aside from that, this guy is doing some wacky, weird, and wonderful stuff with code. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the author of Evolution 2.0, Mr. Perry Marshall! Well, thank you, Doug. It's, it is great to be here. And we, we are going down a rabbit hole today. And um, I suppose we should just let it be known. Everybody's going to need to let their freak flag fly today. Absolutely. Indulge your inner nerd. <laughs> and, you know, if, if, if you're a geek and uh, you have a, a little predilection for philosophical rabbit trails, well, this is, this is your show. This is going to be a treat. <laughs> so let's, let, let's start where I like to start this show, which is the show is Curiosity Bite. So, Mr. Marshall, what do you find yourself most curious about at this present time in your life? I am most curious about the deepest possible questions that I know how to ask, um, which means that I don't have the answers, but, but it's like, well, what are the real questions? And, um, and so let me give you... Um, an illustration to, to so um, I'm trying to get to the bottom of the swamp, like the bottom, bottom, like where is the real bottom of this thing? And, um, and there, there's a great story 
probably a lot of people somewhere in high school or college read some part of Beowulf. Um, And uh, it's the oldest story in anything resembling English. It's about 1300 years old. Mm -hmm. And probably odds are your English teacher butchered it and it was kind of boring and you went on and just kind of forgot about it. I think it's one of the best stories ever told. So let me give you the Perry version of Beowulf. Okay. So Beowulf is a consultant. Oh, good. Okay. And, and a, an RFQ has gone out from King Hrothgar. It's like, somebody help me solve this problem. And the problem is this monster named Grendel likes to show up in his beer hall and kill a bunch of guys and go home. And the, the morale of the knights in the army is kind of, you know, not very good. And, and, uh, wonder why. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, you know, every couple of weeks, Grendel kicks down the door and kills a few more guys and, 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 Nobody, nobody can kill Grendel. Like none of the weapons work on him. And Beowulf is like, Beowulf shows up and they have dinner and, and Beowulf regales him with stories. Oh, you know, I increased revenue 500% and I wrestled monsters in the ocean. And I, I, I was on a keynote speaker tour with Anthony Robbins. And so Harry Marshall. <laughs> The most expensive consultant in the world, Perry Mark. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. And, and and so Hrothgar says, All right, well, if you can solve this, I'll give you the king's, you know, I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage, and I'll give you half the kingdom and all that stuff, right? So um, so Beowulf comes and he sleeps in the mead hall, and sure enough, Grendel shows up and um and Beowulf rips Grendel's arm out of its socket and Grendel goes stomping off in the swamp bleeding and disappears. And everybody's like, he's dead. Yay. And then uh, they think everything's great, but then Grendel's mother shows up. <laughs> You've been ripping my kid's arm off. I'm going to take <laughs> She is mad oh she is mad and she's killing more people and they can't kill her either and then she goes back to her swamp and then she keeps coming back they're like well so what are we going to do about this well so um the the story and if you listen like there's a couple versions of the story on on audible and it's great it's a great listen it's this poem and it's like you listen to it and it's like oh man this is where lord of the rings came from like this is awesome it's once you get into it it's it's great well so the poem says something really interesting it says the swamp that grendel's mother lives in is so dreadful that a deer being chased by wolves would rather be eaten by wolves than dive into the swamp like this thing is bad okay and Beowulf's like, well, I got to go down there, there and get her. And so he takes his magical sword and he swims for like 24 hours and he gets to the bottom and he finds her and he starts wrestling with her and he finds out 
his sword does not work because she has magic and and they're wrestling around and she's almost about to kill him and just at the last minute he sees this other sword that was created by ogres and he manages to go get a hold of that sword and then he kills her with the sword mm -hmm. and now he's the hero and then he the Grendel's body's over there somewhere. He cuts its head off and he drags it to the surface and they hang it up in the mead hall. And now, now Beowulf is, is the hero. Okay. Now this story has some really, really deep meanings, which is why it's still here after 1300. Mm -hmm. First of all, you, if you kill the problem, but you don't kill the thing that gave birth to the problem, you still have a problem, okay? And the thing that gave birth to your problem is at the bottom of a swamp. And it's a swamp that nobody wants to dive into. A deer would rather be killed by wolves. It's stinky, it's smelly, it has evil spirits. Most people, want to pretend it's not even there there's an elephant in a room nobody's talking about it okay everybody's tiptoeing around it right you and then, then he goes in the bottom then when he gets to the bottom of the swamp he nearly dies mm -hmm. and he he doesn't even see your your weapons don't work the weapons that you got on the surface do not work at the bottom of the swamp because the rules are different down there okay and you only find the weapons you need when you almost get killed and you find or forge the weapons you need at the bottom of the swamp then you kill the problem that gave birth to the problem then you're the hero that is what that story means mm -hmm. Okay, and 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 my growing up and my career and all the different crazy things I've done. I mean, I've done so many weird things. I am a serial entrepreneur, you know, totally unemployable. I've had nine different jobs. I got fired from five of them. Okay, <laughs> and in retrospect, the reason I got fired was um, I was too mouthy. I was too opinionated. I was trying to go to the bottom of the swamp that nobody wanted to go into. I was curious about questions nobody wanted to ask. Um, I was embarrassing somebody by like, one time I got fired from a job for walking across the hall to the IT department and asking a guy, could we add this field to this printout? Because in the warehouse, like we need to know where these things are. And he's like, oh, they deleted that field a long time ago. Sure, we could have it. Well, I embarrassed my supervisor and she fired me, right? Like these kinds of things, right? Like, well, we don't. I cannot relate at all. I've, I've never been like that myself. <laughs> I'm such a go with the, go with the flow kind of guy. <laughs> and, and what I have learned is that you walk into a situation, I mean, I've consulted in 300 different industries. And after, a, you know, by the time you get to like industry number 50, you start to see the pattern. It's like, yeah. all right, um, you know, what they think is the problem isn't the problem. They're trying to kill Grendel. They're not dealing with Grendel's mother. Nobody's going to the bottom of the swamp. Where's the swamp? 
how deep is the swamp? Where is the bottom of the swamp? And what's the tool that we need at the bottom of the swamp? And you learn to like, you can actually like think through this in like 30 seconds. You already kind of, you have a sense of how this is going to go before it goes anywhere, right? And then they think you're like magic. It's like, no, I've just like done this 50 other times. I just, I just never did it uh, in acupuncture before. I was, do- I was doing it in accounting last week and I was doing it in software right. the week before, right? And so I've really, I, uh, I, I'm a bottom of the swamp guy. And, and, and when, you, when you get to the bottom of the swamp, you end up finding that everything converges at a certain point. And it's actually pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Probably not easy. Simple is almost never easy. Usually simple is incredibly complicated because you have to work it down. But so that is, so you, you like your first question is like, well, what are you thinking about? Well, you know, I, I currently I'm obsessed with, um, well, Stuart Kaufman is a, is a guy I know at the Santa Fe Institute. He's a fairly famous scientist. And, and he says, well, he says, there, there are three really, really profound questions in science. One of them, where did the Big Bang come from? Two, where did life come from? And three, what is consciousness? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not working on the where did the Big Bang come from problem. I'll, I'll let other people work on that. But I've actually been, I've been working on where did life come from for 15 years. And I actually think the answer to where to, um, did life come from and the answer to what is consciousness are the same. I think it's the same thing. I don't think those are two questions. I think they're one. So I, th- I actually think we have two giant questions in science and I'm working on one of them. And I have a technology prize around one of them. Um, and, and what I'm my observation is that a whole bunch of fields that I have interfaced with and a whole bunch of stuff that I, it all converges on this one question, AI, Google advertising, gene editing, um, you know, philosophical questions about life, questions about God, questions about religion, questions about who are we, all of these questions converge in this one question. Um, and so, well, that's pretty exciting. It's kind of perplexing, I'll admit, but it's fun. Well, it, it's, it's fascinating because, um, you know, what you, there's a couple of things you're talking about there that are just particularly fascinating for me. First of all, um, I am a great student of story. Um, I love um, the science of story and actually teach people how to deliver story based on what we call the, the full Monty leadership story model, which is not mine, it's it's Jungian, right? I mean, oh, and, and yeah. they're all there. You know, Iron John is the same thing, you know, and you know, you just described it in the story you described and every story follows this model. And my wife used to teach that program with me and we watch movies and we're like, okay, phase one is the problem. Phase two, much better. Phase three, much worse. <laughs> yes. Phase four, much different. 
right? Most people never get to phase four. They go much better. Oh, you know, you're the hero. No, it's much worse. And then they abandon it and run away because that's the swamp. That's where you got to dive into the swamp. And I talk about this all the time. I use an example of the best example I can think of is electric cars. Am I in favor of electric cars? Yes, I am. I'm in favor of electric cars. But if you think electric cars are the, are the solution to the problem, you are dead in the water. And people go, what are you talking about? Hold on. First of all, we're making electric cars. So let's just one level. Look, so we've got gasoline. We need to get stop using using those old, old technology uh, for fuel. Okay, great. So now we need electric. Great. So we solved the problem, right? No. Why? Well, how do you power that car when you buy it? You plug it into what? You plug it into the grid. The grid is an old system that's run on gas, which you're fracking for and killing the planet, or you're using coal for, which you're actually trying to get rid of. Ah, so you need the old system to support the new one. So you need to rebuild the entire grid. Oh, okay, well, if we fix that, is it better? Yeah, it might be, but here's the problem. <laughs> now we got to go a bit deeper into this one. What's that? What are the batteries made of? Lithium? Oh, okay. Where does lithium come from? You have to mine it. Oh, where does that come from? Mostly Africa. Who's mining it? Children. Slave labor. So now you're saving the planet. You've created more child labor. You're breaking down a shitty grid system that doesn't really work. And what's more is you're poisoning your own planet by fracking. Again, this, you know, and this is the same work that I do, you, you and I do around, around our consulting is it's this. And, you know, we, my wife and I used to teach a relationship program. By the way, this is where it comes from. You know, it's like you're talking about, oh, hold on a second. This is not related to an industry. This is the, the simple principle. In our relationship program, we say, any couple who's having a scrap, come on up. And we'd bring them up and we'd say, okay, what are you fighting about? And they tell us, and I go, no, you're not. Hmm. The problem is never the problem. The problem is never the problem. Right. The problem is never the problem. So if I give you a solution to the problem, if I say, okay, Charlie, she's really pissed off that you don't put the seat down. So I need a commitment from you to put the seat down. He goes, okay, I commit to putting the seat down. And he puts the seat down for three months. The problem won't be gone. She goes, yeah, it will, because he won't put the seat down. No, no, you'll find someone else. It's not the problem. What's the real problem? We start to drill and find, oh, well, the real problem is that nobody respected women in my house when I was a little kid. And that's what's actually driving this. And that's what we actually have to go after. Oh, okay. And that's what you're saying. I'll go to the bottom. But nobody wants to go there. It was like, no, no, no. I don't want to look at my childhood. I'm fine. I don't want to look at my childhood. That was in the past. The past is leaking all over your present and is about to pollute your future. It's the problem is never the problem. So I so get what you're saying. And I think it's so important that we understand that these models, which is what they are, are laid out in story because that was the most efficient, effective way to do them. It's a way to keep people engaged. And if we do it through story, people go, oh, I get it. Now, the problem with it is, is that people get the story for entertainment and they don't bother to think any deeper. And the, and the code of a story is, here's the solution buried in entertainment. Yes. That's yes. The code. Yes. And, and I, I've come to believe that what people think is entertainment isn't really entertainment. 
it is a way of working out how you should be in the world and how you should function in the world. Um, like I, I remember when the, the movie, the matrix came out, mm -hmm. people had, it had such this mysterious resonance and you had to, if you under see, I, um, I felt like the matrix was a cyberpunk Christian parable was what it was. <laughs> I love that cyberpunk Christian parable. Yeah, it, of it's course, a the story Christian. is the one. Right? Yeah, which, which it's is a totally right? like I watched. It, I was like, I totally get this. Yeah, this makes too. total total sense to me. This is the Christian narrative. Um, and and you know, there's an old saying in copywriting: make the familiar strange and make and the strange familiar. And they made the familiar strange, and people were like, "Wow, there's like." I would I would find comments on the internet. People would go, I'm just drawn to keep watching this movie over and over again. I know because you're living in it. Hello. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and it's not an insult at all. It's like, oh. no, this movie is telling you how the world actually is. Most people are sleepwalking. And then there's a few Neos who have like woken up and there is a red pill and there is a blue pill, right? And like the swamp, the swamp yeah. is a red pill. I do not want to take the red pill because I'm mean, going to be in the swamp. And And what I loved about that story is when he takes the red pill, you know, you go, okay, well, now he's got all his noise. But hold on a second. Where does he live? He lives in a rust bucket and he eats slop. It's the <laughs> swamp. It's the swamp. There's no nice clothes. Everybody's clothes are ripped. His head's shaved. It's a shitty environment. He's in the swamp. So he trades luxury, which to me is that, like, you and I can spend two hours just uh, analyzing that movie. He trades luxury. He trades convenience. He trades all the comforts of the world for a shitty environment where everything's going to be hard. And 99.9% .9 of people will never, ever even consider doing that. And the guy who is the betrayer, who's a member of the team, is back with Smith and he's eating a steak and he says, I know this is an illusion, but damn, it's a tasty one. And I was like, for me, I'm like, oh my God, people, please just watch this movie and stop being entertained you know the gunshots are cool but that's not what it's about you know dub five years ago i gave a presentation you know it was actually a sunday morning at a church and i talked about i i talked about the matrix and there's two scenes that i showed on the screen and one of them was the scene where they're eating snot in the Nebuchadnezzar. There you go. And the other scene was Cypher holding steak on the fork and go, I know this isn't real, but... There mm. you go. <laughs> Those were the two <laughs> best scenes. And this, this drives you to a question. Are you willing to trade luxury for the truth? That's the question I ask all the time. This that's is why I have a $10 million prize. This is, that's the work that I do with my clients. And people are like, what do you mean? And I say, because this is Jungian. Here's the deal. You know, it, and, and Campbell talked about in his work. The treasure you seek 
is hidden in the cave you fear to tread into. Again, the swamp. Because there you will have to confront everything that is ugly about you. In Star Wars, Luke is sent into the cave by Yoda, fearing that he's going to discover Darth. And what he does, he discovers Darth, and then he problem solved. I'm now battling Darth. Rips the helmet off, and who does he see? Himself. We have to look at the dark parts of ourselves, and there's nothing in our society that wants to look at the dark parts of ourselves. I have a new program coming out. I actually just wrote all the copy for it. I was going to ask you about it, but that's a whole other subject. But I wrote copy for it, and really, if I boil that course down, it's about finding your purpose in life. But if I boil it down, what it is is this. Your purpose does not exist in your passion. It does not exist in your joy. Your purpose can only be found in your pain. We've got to dive into the dark parts. And people go, well, I, you know, I don't think I really want to do that. And, and my friends who are, who are in marketing go, yeah, but nobody's signing up for that. And I go, I know, but this is what we need to do. <laughs> so it's fascinating, Boy. this piece around story and the, and the, 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 the code of the story is always the solution. And yet nobody wants the code. They want the freaking entertainment. They want the luxury, but they don't want to strip the luxury off to find out what really is valuable. Well, it's like we're brothers of a different mother. Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, mine's a Jewish mother. Yours is a Christian mother. But hey, what the heck? <laughs> well, so there, yeah. So, so here we are. So the way this started was... My brother got a seminary degree and moved to China, and he was a missionary teaching English. And um, in a, about two years into his missionary stint, which lasted four years, he started having lots and lots and lots of questions about theology and the bible and like all this kind of stuff and basically he'd gotten all these he'd gotten a gigantic excel spreadsheet of exact answers of how everything works from his seminary degree okay yep. so this is this and this is this and this is this and this is this and his spreadsheet was starting to unravel it's like well we changed that cell and then that causes this other one to change and then that causes and pretty soon He's like, he's holding spaghetti in his hands mm -hmm. and he doesn't know what to do with this. And he's spiraling down this doubt vortex. So we got emails going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for a couple of years, encrypted so that the Chinese, you know, and all that. Okay. So the encrypted emails are, you know, going back and forth and I'm doing my best. Instead of Marshall leaks, instead of WikiLeaks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm—he's—he's he's actually dragging me with him because he's very smart and he's asking a lot of questions that you know they sort of nag me in the back of my mind, but like I was okay with things. And he's like dragging me into his swamp. Well, then I go visit him. Um, and I get to China and I discover he's actually thrown this whole thing out the window. Now we're both pastor's kids. 
my dad was a minister. My mom's dad was a minister. I got all these relatives that are doing all this kind of religious stuff. We're a very deeply religious family. Brian has bailed. Mm. Like, this is a total shock to my system. Um, and like his whole countenance and his whole demeanor has shifted. And he, his political views have shifted and his view of the world has shifted. And I'm, I'm just like really uncomfortable with this. And I, and we get into this argument and I go, Brian, look at the hand at the end of your arm. I said, I'm an engineer and this is a nice piece of engineering. Nobody's ever disagreed with that, by the way. No. <laughs> and and I go, you don't think this is an accumulation of random accidents, do you? And he's like, hold on. And this is where we go into the swamp. Mm -hmm. he, go, he goes, Perry, if you got like 100 million falcons for 10 million years flying around and one of them gets a mutation in his DNA, an accidental copying error, and it makes him see better. And then he hunts better. And then he outcompetes the other Falcons. He goes, you don't need a designer. All you need is mutations and natural selection and millions of years, and you'll get a hand. And you don't need a designer. And I sat there and I listened to that and I thought, you know, that doesn't exactly sound right to me as an engineer. That doesn't quite make sense. But, mm -hmm. like, I'm, this is all inside my head. But I know there's a bunch of biologists who would agree with him and not me. And maybe they know something I don't. Right. And I thought, okay, you know what? We've been sitting here arguing in China, not really having a lot of fun for a couple of days now. Why don't I just stop this arguing right now? When I get on that plane and I go home, I am going to figure this out. Mm. Because I am scientifically literate. I know how to pick up a scientific journal and read it. I know how to look up all the terms. I know how to follow all the references. If they've figured this out, if they know something I don't know, well, first of all, it's going to totally change my conception of engineering because I didn't learn anything like this in engineering school. Secondly, maybe this will make me an atheist. I don't know. Right. But I am diving down to the bottom of the swamp and I do not know what I will find there. It may completely change my belief system. We, we may have Thanksgiving dinner next fall and like, Brian and I both be atheists and then we might have a real interesting situation. I don't know, but I am, I will ignore no verifiable truth. If I can figure out that something is true, it is going on the chalkboard and I'm going to put everything on the chalkboard that I can verify. And I'm going to piece this together until it makes sense. And I knew what it was like to get to the bottom of the swamp because of an acoustics paper I'd written in college. And it was, I, I'm not going to go into it, but I had had to take it all the way literally down to Newton's law and then work out this complicated system. And I figured it out. It took about two months 
three months. I figured it out. It was like, I know what it feels like when you finally figure out how something works. And that is what I'm going to do with this. And so off I went. And it was, it was terrifying. <laughs> My wife was kind of scared. She knew good and well, there was no, there was nothing she could do about this. Right. Like, like yeah, Perry and Brian are, they're off on this thing. Like I'm happy with Sunday school. I'm happy with church. I'm happy with reading Bible stories to the kids, but Brian and Perry, like, whoa, whatever. I hope this right. doesn't blow up, but you know, she knew like, she's got to let me wrestle it out. And, and this happens to lots and lots and lots of people. Like this is a very common story. You're like, well, they told me all this stuff growing up. Well, what about it? And then eventually like you start looking for answers, right? And then and you find out there's layers and layers and layers and layers to this stuff. It's not simple. <laughs>